You're listening to Lies and Half-Truths, tales written and performed by A.P. Weber. This is A.P. Weber. It's good to have you with me. On this episode, The Seed of the Fate Tree, Chapter 7. If you haven't listened to chapters 1 through 6, go back and listen to those episodes before continuing. Previously, Ven and Darl descended into the caves below the Fey Tree to germinate the goddess Fern's seed in the lava flow of the mountain god Kaldar, but their masked antagonist followed them with a mob of his kinsmen. Ven was able to earn the trust of the strange forest folk by showing them the germinated seed and reminding them of their purpose. Now, the brothers must make the journey out of the cave and face the cruel-jawed monster that prevents their return to Cascade Rock. How can they possibly overcome so fierce a foe? Before we get started, I'd like to encourage you to go to apweber.com where you'll find more of this kind of storytelling. That's A-P-W-E-B-E-R dot com. And now, Lies and Half-Truths presents The Seed of the Fey Tree, Chapter 7. Others ascended up the ruins' corridors, followed by the silent crowd of slender shadows. After a few blocks, they came across an overturned chest, its contents spilling out and gleaming in the light of Darl's discarded lamp. Darl stooped and quickly scooped the loot back into the vessel, popping off the rings from his fingers and tossing them in, along with the chains and crown he'd been wearing. The lid didn't clasp, so he spilled some of the loot out small handful at a time, until it would. Ven and the throng paused to observe this. Darl shouldered the chest and stood. What? He said, as if their stares were an accusation. Don't you see? Ven said. This is why these folk were lost. Greed. We have to leave it behind. We have to give up this pursuit of gold, or we'll turn out like them. Darl flinched at these words. What are you talking about? We can't abandon who we truly are, like they did, Ven said, his voice beginning to well with passion. We have to get back to what it means to be Halfkin. This is what it means to be Halfkin, Darl said, shaking the loot so that it jingled in the chest. No, it can't be. What about our lore, the spark of magic that flows through our veins? Yeah, that's part of it too. Darl said, but it wasn't really a concession. He sighed and placed the chest down in the stone street. He addressed the crowd of shadows. Sorry about this, but we might be here a while. He turned to his brother, put a hand on his shoulder, and said, Ven, you haven't been thinking clearly. Yes, I... Ven began to say, but Darl cut him off. No, he said. If you were thinking clearly... You'd have noticed that these creepy little waifs aren't interested in this treasure at all. Hell, 
The dwarves who lived here didn't even bother to take all this loot with them, wherever they went. Ven blinked and glanced over at the crowd. Their eyes were on the seed cradled in the crook of his arm. But Fern said they abandoned her for a dragon's treasure, he said. Maybe, Darl said. And this is just a thought. But maybe they have a completely different idea of treasure than we do. Ven stared at the ground. Look, Darl went on. Don't take this the wrong way. But I'm not the one who's abandoning what it means to be a halfkin. Ven looked up with a startled expression. He gestured at the seed in his arm. What do you mean? I'm the one trying to get back to our roots. I'm the only one willing to serve the gods anymore. We're not fave, Ven. We're halfkin. Back at Cascade Rock, you wanted us to fit in and be more like the common folk. Now you want us to fit in with these... Whatever they are. I know you're just trying to help the band, but you're holding us back. And I, for one, am not going to be held back. I'm a Hafkin, and I'm claiming this treasure for our people. Darl hefted the chest again and set out up the road. What's in the vault, then? Ven said. Darl stopped and looked back. What? There's something in that vault the gods thought worth fighting over. If it's not gold, what is it? I don't know, Darl said. He grinned. But now I want to find out. The comparatively open air of the lava well felt like liberation when they emerged from the root cave. Then strode with unwavering purpose from the shadows, past the corpses of the mole rats to the trunk of the great tree. The silent crowd lingered at the mouth of the cave, taking in the scene of carnage before filtering out. Each individual, now visible in the sunlight, looked like the forest itself, their skin and hair colored in the hues of flora. Darl, watching them, had to admit to himself that they possessed a certain beauty taken as a whole. In silence, the slender forest folk collected the bodies of their fallen and carried them away back down the cavern. The greater part of the group remained, watching Ven in quiet awe. Ven drew the short sword Darl had returned to him and dug into the earth with its blade. You're gonna notch it that way, Darl said. Ven ignored him and cut through the silvery tendrils of fungus till he had a hole some twelve inches deep. He placed the seed inside the hole and covered it up with loose soil. You're just gonna leave it there? Darl said, and then gestured past the throng at one of the mounds of pink, fleshy mole. What if, uh, I don't know, mole rat or something digs it up and eats it? Ven gave his brother a startled look, regarded the corpse momentarily. You think? Darl shrugged, the chest jingling on his shoulder. Yeah. Ven decided and began digging in the soft earth with his hands. It was more than twelve inches of digging before he found the seed again, now netted in silver tendrils. It still pulsed and its light radiated through the fungal strands that seemed to be drawing it deeper into the soil.
Huh, Darl said, peering over his shoulder. That happened kind of fast. Then covered the seat again and stood, head bowed in contemplation. At his back, forest folk began to hum, just a few of them, a faltering, uncertain melody. More voices joined in, the words began to form as the tune solidified. This sound, unlike the discordant tones of the masked one's syrinx, was a lovely one. The leaf-covered ground seemed to respond to the song, vibrating underfoot. Ven and Darl exchanged uncertain looks. As they sang, the forest folk began to break away from the group, one by one, and mount the stairs up the side of the great tree until a procession wound around the trunk. The halfkin followed after them. At the temple, they crowded around the wicker idol, producing blades. Each, in turn, pruned the brittle branches that formed Fern's shape, cutting away the dead growth. The Hafkin brothers circled around them to the pine tree bridge as they worked. Ven watched the ritual, but Darl looked out at the forest across the bridge. If they chop her up, Darl said, how's she going to help us get past Krulljaw, or whatever he's called? They're not chopping her up, Ven said. They're preparing her for new growth. How sweet. But that crazy masked one is probably already out there with his flute, just waiting for us to cross the bridge so he can have his pet tear us to pieces. That doesn't worry you. The song of the forest folk died out. Darl turned to see what was going on. One of the folk stood before Ven, holding out Farron's pruned hands as if they were an offering. Creepy, Darl muttered. Ven took the hands, turned them in his own, studying them. The forest person whistled a soft, sweet melody. Ven cleared his throat uncertainly. She, the forest person, whistled the melody again. Ven whistled it back to her. She nodded, then, holding her fingers to her lips, whistled the melody again. Ven looked down at Farron's hands. Her fingers were hollow like reeds. He held them to his lips and blew. Darl cursed, but it sounded like a blessing. Darl shouldered his burdens, the chest on one and the great sword on the other, and followed his brother onto the bridge while the crowd of forest folk watched in silence. You think it'll work? He said. I don't know, said Ven. I hope. Nice of them to help. Almost feel bad for killing their kin. Ven paused midway across and turned to face his brother. Almost, he said, and again he wondered about what wicked deeds Darl had done in the service of Redway, what innocent people he had killed. Darl looked down at him with a sheepish grin. Never kill anyone you might regret killing later, he said. That's how I look at it. They would have killed my brother. I'm not going to let that happen. Ven nodded and continued across the bridge. That's comforting to hear, he said. I got your back, brother, Darl said as they reached the other side. And look at you. You crossed that bridge without any fuss. Should I try it? Ven said, regarding the reedy fingers in his hands. Darl shrugged. I guess so. If it summons him and he eats us, best to get it over with. He lifted the fingers to his lips and blew out a sweet melody. That's pretty good. Where'd you learn to play the flutes? I picked it up at some point, 
he said, and set out in a southwesterly direction. That year you were with Redway. Ah, Darl said hesitantly. You're not still sore about that, are you? Of course I'm still sore about it. But what's done is done. You can't feel worse about it than I do, Darl said, and they both fell silent for a long moment. They walked on, then stopped. What is it? Darl whispered. It's quiet. He's close. Indeed, the birds had stopped singing, and the scratching and scuttling of woodland creatures had ceased. Ben brought the fingers to his lips and filled the silence with melody. All at once, the forest erupted in a hail of splintered wood and leafy debris that then drifted down in a dusty cloud around the snarling skull and bulky figure of Kruja. Paralytic dread leadened the brother's feet. Kruja lifted his bony snout to the canopy and roared a demand. The beast that once embodied the wrath of a goddess now stood at the edge of action. What would you have of me? He seemed to be asking, and the answer had better come quick, lest he do what comes naturally to him, rend and devour. Ven intuited all of this. He lifted the fingers to his lips and played. The beast's great shoulder heaved and his jet fur bristled, but he lowered his head in an unmistakable gesture of submission. Huh, Darl said. I was sure we were dead. He turned to his brother for a response to his understated quip, but Ven was pinching his eyes shut and breathing labored, quivering breaths. You're right there, brother, Darl said. Ven swallowed, opened his eyes, then nodded, staring up at the monster. He played again, and Kruja's shoulders sagged and his fur lay flat again. That's right, Darl soothed supportively. You don't want to hurt us. That's a good boy. Aside, to his brother, he said, What now? Let's go, Ven said, and they set off through the woods. What about him? Darl said, trotting behind. What if the enchantment wears off, and he comes after us? Or that masked one sends him after us with his own song? Maybe we should keep him with us. Can you order him to follow? Ven frowned thoughtfully, then said, Yes. I think I can. He played a jaunty tune, eyes locked on the monster. Kruja first craned his bony head in their direction and then slowly straightened out and stepped delicately toward them. The brothers took a handful of cautious steps, looking over their shoulders at the beast. He followed, quiet as a shadow in spite of his great size. They walked on. Darl said, it's unsettling how quiet he is back there. Ven didn't reply. He could hardly hear the beast, but his sense of him was louder, brighter, more fragrant than anything he could hear, see, or smell. The act of dominating Kruja consumed his mind. I got an idea, Darl said after a few more minutes of silence. Let's see if we can ride him. Before long, they came upon the lava plain where they had first encountered the masked flautist. Darl's cart remained where he had abandoned it at the mouth of the tunnel. Its contents had been thrown out and littered the ground around it. 
Darl knelt and scooped some oats from where they had spilled out, sifting them through his fingers. Damn it, he said. I'm gonna kill that little scat pile. He threw his chest and greatsword into the cart. At least I didn't lose the axe I borrowed, he said, snatching the item from the ground. As he turned back to the cart, he glanced down the length of the tunnel. There in the circle of sunlight stood the hated silhouette of their antagonist. His wicked melody echoed through the passage. Ven clamped his eyes shut with a groan and Kruja reared up. Darl snarled, gripped the axe, and tore off down the passage. No! Ven called after him, but Darl was already halfway to the other side. It's a trap! The silhouette stood rigid, blowing unheedfully on his flute. Darl heard Kruja roar and Ven cry out as if in pain. At this, he halted, sliding on loose earth. He lifted the axe overhead and threw it end over end at the figure before him, then turned and ran back toward his brother's cries. The cruel melody abruptly ceased, and when Darl reached the other side, he glanced back to see the figure was gone. Ven had collapsed to his knees, but his melody resumed to Kruja's bristled protest. We have to get out of here, Ven growled. I can't hold him forever. One moment, Darl said, and quickly looped the discarded rope around the chest, knotting it and creating another loop that he cinched over his shoulder. With his treasure thusly secured, he snatched up his prized greatsword. Now I can move more quickly, he said, turning to his brother. But his brother was gone. Ven? Get up here, Ven said. Darl raised his eyes in wonder at the small form of his brother straddling Kruja's back. Darl cursed with excitement. They made good time with Kruja's long, loping strides and total indifference to the sorts of obstacles that would have sent Ven and Darl searching for a way around. What had been a several-day journey picking through undergrowth and steep slopes merely took them the rest of the afternoon. It was not without difficulty, however. Improbably, the song of their enemy periodically dogged them, rousting Kruja to agitation. Ven would play in response and the terrible melody would fade away into the forest, but always ahead of their course. How is he so fast? Darl groused. Ven was too exhausted to commiserate. By the time they were within sight of the lake from up upon a rise, his head ached under the effort of concentration. His playing was getting weak too, soft. If not for his proximity to Kruja's ear, their enemy's song would easily have drowned it out. They paused momentarily at the crest of the ridge to look down at the cove below. The darkening water was rosy in the setting sunlight. They scanned the fall that emptied into it the mess of fallen trees that blocked egress to the inner cove, their little boat grounded in the pebbly sand. They squinted at the water for any sign of the Leviathan. As if it knew they searched for it, the Leviathan showed itself, a dark coil, nearly invisible below the surface, but for its motion. White wash burst from the relative calm as the great monster leaped from the water, a taunt certifying its knowledge of their presence. At that, Kruja bucked and bolted down the steep incline, crashing through trees like curtains and howling with unmistakable hatred. Ven gripped the beast's coarse mane with one hand 
attempting to bring Feyern's fingers to his lips. He heard his brother yelp and tumble away from him. Moments later, his own grip slipped. He hit the earth with a crunch. His head swooned, and he lost time. When Ven came to, it was clear that only a moment had passed. He was within a few paces of the shore, from where a cacophony roared like the raging ocean tide rending and splintering the hull of some great ship. Ven stood, clutching the hands of Fern to his chest, now bent and broken. His head ached more fiercely than before, his ribs throbbed. He limped toward the terrible sound. Where was Darl? In spite of his exhaustion and pain, his thoughts were sharpening in the desperation of the moment. What lay ahead would be his salvation or his doom. As he emerged from the trees, he saw their boat, her stern bobbing in the vicious onslaught of swells, but still quite intact. But beyond the boat's mast, where the tangle of trees spanned the gap between here and the opposite shore, two monstrosities writhed. Kruja stood perched upon the fallen timber, locked in a bloody embrace with the Leviathan, his jaws gnashing and rending the sea monster's flesh. The Leviathan's maw flailed in the air and screamed with injury. Ven's heart soared with hope at the awful sight. Kruja would destroy the Leviathan, or at least injure it enough to allow them to escape. All he had to do was find Darl. No. Darl would find him. He would have to play the flute, Fern's hands, to soothe Kruja. Darl would simply follow the sound of the song. They'd made it. They were home free. Then his mind sharpened further. All, in fact, was not lined up as he had hoped. For all he knew, Darl could be unconscious somewhere. Also, he was clutching Fern's hands too tightly, and he realized why. The hollow fingers were now a pile of twigs in the crook of his elbow. He let his arm go slack and the pieces tumbled out like so much detritus. He would never gain control of Kruja now. The Leviathan arched its spine and its razor teeth clamped onto Kruja's hide, eliciting a furious roar. Then the Leviathan jerked backward and Kruja lost his footing. With a great deep clap, both monsters tumbled under the surface of the water. Ven knew not which of the two would eventually surface. It didn't matter, though. Either would be hell-bent on his destruction. Thanks for listening to Lies and Half-Truths. This episode was written and performed by A.P. Weber and produced by Meg Weber. Our theme was provided by Josiah Martins. Original music by Weep Bar. Music help from the incomparable Mackenzie Stubbard. Please consider liking, sharing, or reviewing this podcast wherever you listened to it. You'll find more stories like this one at apweber.com. In any case, please join us again next time 
for more lies and half-truths.